Welcome to the City Life Lansing podcast. You are loved, you belong, and you have a unique purpose from God. You can connect with us at citylifelansing.com. You belong here. Here's today's message. Welcome, y'all. This is VJ. I just want to welcome you guys. If you're watching online or in person, great to have you. It's been a few weeks now in the summer series that we're in and Roots with the Fam. So you already know what's up if you've been watching online already, but if you're new or you're coming back as new in like a long time it's been, welcome especially to you as well. Uh, we've had some previous speakers that already like got us our feet wet with this series. We got Josh Block, Devin Lovett, we got Ron Caldwell, and we even got Pastor Tommy, who spoke last week, all the way down from Tampa, Florida, Crossover Church. So in-house, we've actually been focusing on the book of Ephesians. It's been our framework. You know, I'm actually going to delve in a little bit in Ephesians as well. But being that it's, you know, 4th of July Eve, I thought I'd be the anomaly. Talk a little bit about another story that comes out of the book of Judges. It's Gideon and the army of 300. So before we go further, though, I want to kind of share a story that's kind of tie into this and make it make more sense. So there's this radio transmission that actually occurred back in October of 1995. And this was between Canadian officials and a U.S. Navy ship that was off the coast of Newfoundland. The transmission goes as follows. Please divert your course 15 degrees north. The Canadians immediately respond back. We recommend that you divert your course 15 degrees south. Immediately after that, the captain of the U.S. Navy ship gets online and he goes, I'm the captain of this ship. I order you, and I recommend highly, I say it again, divert your course north. Canadians respond back, smooth with it. They just say, I urge you to divert your course to the south. So at this point, the captain, he's like going nuts. He's irritated, he's frustrated, he's agitated. And he finally says back, this is the aircraft USS Lincoln. It's the second largest ship in the United States Atlantic Fleet. We have three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous other ships in our fleet. I demand you, he said, I demand you to turn your course 15 degrees north. That's one five degrees north. If you refuse to do this, then we'll have to take, undertake countermeasures to ensure the safety of our fleet. So the Canadians, they didn't respond right away. They kind of paused a little bit, but then confidently they responded back. This is a lighthouse, your call. So I can think in that moment, man, just imagine what that, that captain was thinking about. He went from zero to 100, and then he went from 100 to zero probably real quick. He got some humble pie up in him. So this is gonna talk about, we're gonna talk about the, the title that we have right now of today's message is Humility, Disrupting the Norm. But before we go forward, let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for what you're doing in this moment. Thank you so much for who you're reaching. We have the capabilities and the opportunity to reach so many people just from this online platform. Thank you for what you're doing at City Life. Thank you for what you're doing as the body of Christ as a whole across the nation, across the world. We just pray right now a special blessing over everybody that's actually listening in right now. Just touch their hearts, open their eyes, open their hearts, open their ears right now. Let them receive your words. Let it not be about me or anybody else. Let them not be distracted. Jesus, touch them in a special and a supernatural way. Let their spirit be blessed today. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We honor you and glorify you and we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So 
I'm sure many of you are thinking like, Vijay, what in the world? Why are we talking about humility? You know, we should be talking about the pride of our country, all the sacrifices that we shared uh, to get to the point where we're at right now, all the liberties, all the freedoms that we have. Are you really gonna talk about humility? Well, yes, I actually am. So I think we need to talk about humility because what's the opposite of that? It's pride. You see, I think the church itself, we don't talk about pride enough. It's something that is happening within us. You know, the heart above all things is deceitful, right? So it then manifests outside and outward, and we see so much that happens with our insecurities, with our attitudes. Um, you just got to be careful. It's, just, it's, it's a slippery slope when you look at it that way. Now, I say all this, like, don't get me wrong. There's a sense of pride that you can have for certain things. So if you're actually watching online right now, I want you to actually answer in your chat. What are some favorite things that you take pride in or maybe that you like rep? So for me, for example, I rep Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I'm from Tampa Bay, right? The Bucks, Lightning, they call it Champa Bay because there's so many championships that they've won. Now, don't get me wrong too. They've also been through the years where they've been taking those L's, those losses, decades and decades and decades. So they were almost set up to win. That's how God works in our lives a lot of times too. So I want you guys to write down, what do, you, what do you take pride in? Is it a city? Is it a state? Is it a country? Is it a school that you actually take pride in? Is it another sports team? Write it in there. I can't get to it right now. You can engage with me later, but I'll get to it later after the service is done. I would love to hear your comments. Now, let's dive right into Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. It'll be up on the screen for you guys to see, or if you want to open your Bibles. It says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all, what is that word? Humility and gentleness, with patience, hearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So this is so key because you have some Christians with this ideological concept of nationalism in which they basically pay their allegiance to live and die by ways of the flag or the country or politics. And they're not really having that foundation where it's a firm theological foundation where their allegiance should be in and built up upon living and dying over God's teachings, God's word. So even as believers, we can get caught up in this. There's like a small niche of people that, that can get caught up in this. Um, or in today's world, honestly, it's a lot of people, you know, left and right. You can see it left side, right side, blue side, red side, whatever side you're on. You know, it's not really a spirit of unity or of peace. If you're asking me, I mean, honestly, the only side that matters is the side that was pierced for our transgressions, and that's Jesus. King Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, what are you actually putting your pride into? Or who is the Lord in your life? Who is the Lord over your life? If it's not Jesus, then it doesn't really matter, right? So our allegiance is not confined or it's not defined by our earthly citizenship, but a heavenly one. You know, we're, we're called we're to embrace being ambassadors of Christ. That's to all nations, not just the nation that you're born in, not just the nation that you were raised in, but all nations. But how do we do this? I'm glad you asked. It takes humility, guys. It takes a spirit of humility. So let's jump into what actually is humility. So humility, defined by Wexford, uh, Webster's Dictionary, is freedom from pride or arrogance, the quality or state of being humble. In Latin, it's referred to as low. In Greek, it's referred to as a lowly spirit. So you oftentimes hear the story of the, the baby Jesus in manger, right? In the manger, it's a lowly manger, or 
you hear about David, King David, the lowly shepherd in the fields, right? It's a lowly spirit. Opposite of that is prideful, obviously. So we look in Matthew 23, 5 through 7 in the ESV version. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries, and this is a funny word, phylacteries. Um, in Greek, it's translated in English. It's called phylacteroid. Basically, it was an amulet or like, uh, it was like a chain that, that they wore back in the day to kind of like ward off or deter evil spirits or the evil eye. It's like a charm in a sense. So they make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbis by others. If you notice that, they love, they love, they love. I love to get all the attention. I love to get all the praise. It kind of reminds me of when, when Paul was talking about what's the root of all evil. It's the love of money. It's not money, it's the love of money. So look at that correlation. It's so cool how we, we can look at that in this verse as well. Relating to humility. So we're going to talk about Gideon, right? So with Gideon, his story comes from the book of Judges, which is standing around God or Yahweh's sovereignty and the importance of being loyal to him and his laws above all other gods and all other sovereigns. It's really uncertain who was actually labeled as, as who penned the book of Judges. A lot of colleagues and scholars, they think that it was the prophet Samuel. Um, Gideon's story is as similar parallels to many other of the chosen ones or iconic heroes that you can hear about, like such as Moses. He was the one that delivered the Israelites from the hands of the Pharaoh, right, out of Egypt. You have King David. So David actually delivered the Israelites from Goliath and the Philistines. So then we have Gideon. Gideon delivered the Israelites from the hands of the Malachites and the Midianites. And it's funny because they actually like, were brutally bullying the Israelites for seven years straight. There is no breaks. And the Israelites go through cycles. It's kind of like us, maybe in our own family units. Maybe we're going through these cycles as well, but it's four specific cycles. They go through like an apostasy stage where it's like kind of like defecting from their faith. Then they go move into a cycle of oppression. And then from there, they segue into a cycle of distress. And then finally, they're into a cycle of deliverance. But it's like a vicious cycle, it just never ends. Let's dive into Judges 6, 11 through 16. We'll learn a little bit more about Gideon and his story and how it could possibly relate to some of you guys. So six, Judges 6, 11 through 16. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abrazite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Isn't that amazing? Like, this is the first time he's hearing it from an angel and he's already calling him a warrior. He called that out in him, a warrior. But he said, pardon me, my Lord. I don't know if that would be my first response. Hey, pardon me. But Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? It always goes back to Egypt, always. But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hands of Midian. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? I mean, after that, I would honestly just stop. But again, Gideon, if you see, if you read on, it says, pardon me, Lord. Again, hey, by the way, God, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, 
I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Man, if you didn't get anything from that, just that last part, when the Lord answers, I will be with you. I will be with you. That's powerful. Let's move into our first point here. Humility takes surrendering. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. So in essence, it's true that when we are literally, basically, we're, we're literally paralyzed without God stepping in and moving on our behalf. We're paralyzed. We can do nothing apart from him. And it brings me to like an analogy, like we have like a closed fist. If somebody's trying to help you up or help you get to the next level and you have a closed fist, it's kind of hard. You can't really like grab onto them. You don't have a good grip to bring them to that next level, to help them step up. And it's like us, we have our talents, we have our gifts, we have all these unique qualities that God innately gave to us and birthed out of us and called out of us, but we don't wanna hold on to them. I mean, we don't wanna actually let them go, we just wanna hold on to them for ourselves. But we don't know that God has so many more plans for us and he could use those in so many good ways. So when you're weak, he is actually strong, right? When you surrender your talents over to God, they become even more valuable. They're invaluable at that point because then he has control of it as opposed to you and your control and our flesh. Our second point, humility takes self-control. So there's a series of tests that Gideon, again, him being stubborn and fearful and not wanting to step into that calling after God already says, hey, you're a mighty warrior. He has a series of tests. And these tests are about two or three, three different tests, but there's one that I want to highlight just for the sake of time. There's a test where the angel Lord came down and Gideon basically just gets in front of him and is like, hey, I don't know if I'm truly called to deliver the Israelites from the hand of the, the, the Midianites, but if you can show me, I'm gonna take this fleece of wool, I'm gonna put it on the ground, and I want you to drench it in dew. And all around the ground, I want it to be completely dry. If you can do that, I think, I think I'll be confident enough. So angel does it, bada bing, bada boom. You know, it's not magic or anything, but in my head, that's how it sounds, right? But it's really a miracle, right? So the angel does it. You would think at that moment, again, he would be humbled and he'd be like, okay, I got this. I can have some confidence. I'm gonna deliver the Israelites, right? That's what God says, but nope. He does another test for him. So he takes the fleece, puts it on the ground, and he says, this time, angel of the Lord, this time, I want you to make it all dry for the fleece, and I want the ground around it to be completely soaked and wet and dew. And what do you think happened? He obviously came through. The Lord always comes through, even when we don't. So Matthew 5, it says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. That's one of the Beatitudes that we talked about earlier this, this year. You see, Gideon was already called to be a warrior for God. But he was walking and he was operating in weakness. Are we operating in weakness? Are you operating in weakness? When you're already called to do great things, to be great, you are already great. There's a difference between meekness and weakness. You know, a meek person won't be the first to like start a fight, won't be the first to rebuttal, won't be the first to respond. And a lot of times they could be labeled as somebody that's like, oh, they don't, they're not man enough, or they're not, they're not called to do anything. They're just in the corner. They're just sitting on the bench. But that's not necessarily the case. If you have meekness, it's definitely not a weakness. But in this case, Gideon was operating in his weakness. Look at Matthew 23, 12. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, 
and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Sometimes, I want you guys to focus on this, this point here. Sometimes the anointing comes before the appointing. Sometimes the anointing comes before the appointing. You see, King Saul, he was king in the public side, right? But King David, well, David, he was anointed as king in private. He wasn't called to be in that position just yet. Some of us aren't called to be in that position. We're just, we're in the waiting room, right? I think a lot of us are not very keen to want to be in the, in the waiting room itself. It's very uncomfortable. You don't really know what's going on. It can be confusing. You could be desperate. You don't really know what's going on. But the waiting room is a time that's actually the Holy Spirit's working. God's working in that time. So God's going to elevate you in private. Ten times out of ten times, I've, I know that he'll elevate you in private. If you're really truly following his word and his calling over your life, he'll elevate you in private before he elevates you in public. God, God called Gideon a warrior in private before he even was in position yet to be, be fulfilled with that calling of being a warrior. Our third point, humility takes courage. Humility takes courage. So as the story continues, you have Gideon who's getting his army prepared. He has 32,000 men. I mean, that seems like a lot nowadays, right? But back then, they had so many, so many wars where it was just numerous amounts of people. And as you can see, the Midianites, if you read on, 135,000 men. And when you break that down in ratios, that's every four Midianites to every one Israelite. But God was like, nah, you know what? I don't need you guys to be that much in numbers because I know that you'll probably get the, the glory from that. You'll say, oh, we delivered the Israelites with our hand, not God's hand. So he's like, you know what? We'll just cut that. Let's go down to 10,000. So God's just thinking to himself, you know what? Not even 10,000. I'm gonna separate the warriors from the men that will actually return home. So he ordered Gideon to have the men go down to the river and the way that he separated them, the ones that actually knelt down and drank out of the water, they would stay home. The ones that actually would drink like if, they're, like if, if you're a dog lapping in the water with your mouth, those are the ones that would actually fight. So after that was all decided, the numbers were all decided, it ultimately came down to 300. And at that point, you're kind of like looking at like God, like, look, we're already underdogs at 32,000. What do you have to be at 300? Why, it might just be me. I'm just gonna go out there by myself. Let's see what happens. I'm sure God could have still done that, but the story goes with 300. Numbers are important in the Bible. So that was a ratio then now from four to one, all the way down to 450 Midianites to one Israelite. And the Lord at that point was like, aha, I will deliver you with 300 men. It was already set, set in stone. So let's read a little further here in Judges 7, 12 through 15. The Midianites, the Malachites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand of the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and this interpretation, he bowed down and worshiped. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. And as the story goes, you know, God cloaked Gideon 
and his men as they made their way to the outskirts of the camp. And Gideon signaled the 300 men to blow their horns, and they had pottery, they dropped the pottery, they blew their trumpets, and made all this noise that the Midianites woke up, and they kind of woke up in distress, right? So God caused them to have this even more distress to kind of draw their swords towards each other, ultimately killing each other, and some of them started running away, others fled to the camp, so they either were captured or killed. So it just, it brings us to some takeaway points here when we look at this story. There's so much that you can grab out of this that you could just go on for days just, just studying this and, and soaking yourself in it and what humility is all about. But things that I personally want you to take away is sometimes we don't need all the answers. We just need faith. Like it says in 2 Corinthians, walk by faith, not by sight, right? We're better off with God's 300 any day than our 32,000 any day out of the week. We're better off with God's 300 than our 32,000 any day of the week. We oftentimes want God to come through with a miracle, but we don't ever want to be in a position where a miracle is then required. I'll say that again because it's so powerful. We oftentimes want God to come through with a miracle, but we don't even want to be in a position to where a miracle is then required because that takes a lot out of us. That then takes oh wow, how much more do we have to be in prayer? How much more do we have to be interceding for us or on behalf of others? How much more do I have to be fasting? Yeah, it takes sacrifice, it takes commitment, it takes devotion. So these are some key things that I thought would be very beneficial for us as a body to remember. Now how can I cultivate, how can you cultivate a spirit of humility? One is just listening to others more than speaking. I think a lot of times we get so so antsy to just listen to respond as opposed to listen to understanding. How about you just listen to understand, just be. Number two is put on an attitude of gratitude. You know, your attitude is contagious. Is it worth catching? Is yours worth catching? Because if it ain't, get away from me. And number three, ask for help. There's always room for improvement. You know, I've never heard of anything, any scientific studies or any type of studies in the health field where somebody has died from swallowing their pride. So what if that's us today? What if we need to swallow our pride? Now, I started off with a story about a lighthouse. I'm going to end with a story about a lighthouse that I actually wrote a few years ago. Just a quick little excerpt. I hope it blesses you. I hope it encourages you this week. Our purpose in life is much like a lighthouse. A lighthouse is built to withstand hurricane force winds and to help navigate ships by emitting light when it's dark or unclear. So when the storms come, when the waves seem high, so high that they're crashing against you, or when others are walking blindly, have faith, have hope, stand firm, and help them navigate through their situation. Because like a lighthouse, you were built to shine bright. I'm going to pray for us. I hope you're blessed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for this message. Thank you so much for this time that we can come together. Such a time as this, God. You're just so good. I'm so thankful for what you're doing in City Life, for what you're doing in the people at City Life and community. We're growing as a family, deeper roots. It's a beautiful season of summer that we can just appreciate you before the winter, the fall and the winter come. God, just 
let us just, let this just explode. Let us be contagious. Let your love be contagious and let us be felt throughout these rooms, throughout these walls, throughout the four, forget about the walls, the four walls. We are the church, God. Let people see a glimpse of us, a glimpse of you through us, Jesus. We're so amazed, we're so enamored by your love. It's never ending, it's never failing. God, let a spirit of humility just rest on us right now. If there's anybody that's feeling shame or guilt, I rebuke that in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray that you just come over them, help them to feel your love, help them to hear a small whisper, and just know that in a world filled with chaos and storms, you calm the storms in their lives. All we need to do is just call on you, Jesus. You're the one that is the greatest example of what humility is all about. You had the opportunity to disregard that cup, but you took that cup. You took that cup of wrath for us. You died on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, for being the Lord over our lives. And if you're not, I pray that we can get there sooner than later. So God, I pray for encouragement. I pray for edification for our brothers and sisters, everyone that's listening, whatever country, wherever they're repping from. Jesus, we rep you first. We're gonna make you famous. Praise your name, we worship you again, we glorify you, you get all the praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. So guys, we're gonna be back here same time next week, 10 a.m. and 11.30 a.m. All faces, all races, all ages. You belong here. We're gonna keep loving the city one life at a time, and we won't stop until he comes back and makes all things new. Love you guys. Thanks for listening to the City Life Lansing podcast. Loving you and loving the city one life at a time. To get connected, learn more, and invest financially, go to citylifelansing.com. You belong here.